All right. So we've been studying the book of Acts and um, trying to understand as Christians how are we supposed to live. Now we came to the order of Melchizedek, which is a priestly order that was established before the Levite priests. So when all the sacrificing of lambs and goats and sheep and stuff, there was a priestly order before them. And Christ came after that order, all right, where he's priest, prophet, and king. And then the, the initiation into that order was with a sacrifice and a partaking of bread and wine, which happened way back in the days of Abraham to uh, Mel, the first Melchizedekian priest, all right, um, way before Moses and the law, all right. And so when Christ comes along on the Last Supper, he also breaks bread and wine, indicating that the believers in him are taking a vow and a covenant that is not Levitical like Moses with the thou shall nots, but is more indicative of before Moses when men walked with God. Amen? So that sounds really good theologically, and it lines up historically, but we don't really know how we're supposed to live that. And for the most part, most Christians feel like I'm not supposed to live the way the New Testament says because that was so long ago. And they may not say it out of their mouths, but how they orchestrate their lives would indicate that they feel like they have new rules to living. Like, you know, back in the day, people got married younger, so it's okay if we bake cake right now without being married because, you know, technically they was getting married at 12 and 13, so we fine, you know. Technically, I love you, and technically, I probably will marry You know, so we begin to think about all the reasons why our particular lifestyle does not have to live up to the expectations of the New Testament. And that's not true. So with that hard pill to swallow, that we're supposed to look like these New Testament believers, uh, how and what did they do? So today we're going to look at the book of Acts in continuation. This is probably going to be... Last week, we left off on part 16, the dangers of manifesting. That was fun. All right, where a lot of Christians are taking up this new term that I need to, you need to manifest. Manifest your destiny. Manifest it. You know, um, it's just a bit of sorcery and witchcraft. Amen. Just a bit. Just a, just a tad bit. Just a little bit where you become your own God. Hello, somebody, and you get to take what is in you and manifest it outside of you, you know, because it's what's in you. And, and this newer generations are really at the cusp of believing that since you can't trust authority, you can't trust people in power. Some of us couldn't trust our parents, couldn't trust the president, couldn't trust the teachers, couldn't even trust the preachers and the pastors. Hello, somebody. That the only person that we can trust is ourselves. And so there has been such an introspective of turning into oneself for answers. Now, the problem with this is that you assume that you yourself are good. And I'm sure we have all recognized that we ourselves are not good. If you haven't, you're delusional. Okay, you're a narcissist, okay? 
Stop gaslighting everyone, okay? Because you yourself are not good. All right? So me, myself, am not good. But I feel that everything that I desire that's in me should be manifested, then I'm going to manifest a lot of not good things. Oh, if there was a standard of goodness. Oh, if there was some source of goodness that could be within me that then could manifest itself outside of me. I think that would be really great. <laughs> Paul says, the stuff I want to do, I don't do. The stuff I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. He said, there is a war in my members. The stuff I really need to manifest that I know God wants me to do, I can't seem to get that together for nothing in the world. I say, this time I'm going to go to church every week. Okay, next time I'm going to church every week. This time I'm not going to smoke no more weed. This time I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to throw away the vapes. This time I'm going to delete his number. This time I ain't even going to DM her no more. I ain't going to DM her no more. I ain't going to DM her no more. And somehow I end up vaping hand. <laughs> and I can't figure out what is wrong with me. I can't figure out out of all the tragedies that God has brought me through, why it's not sufficient for me to manifest something more glorious and wonderful to him. I mean, some of you, I know for a fact, you look back over your life and you definitely know God saved you from some foolishness, saved you from going to jail, saved you from being in the hospital, beat up by some crazy ninja. Saved you from abstract poverty. Hello, somebody. Saved you from eating out of the dumpster. Saved you from sleeping in your car. Sa Hello, somebody. Saved you from losing your mind. Saved you from being a, pers a promiscuous person. <laughs> person that eats a lot of cake all the time. Makes a lot of cake, eats a lot of cake. Saved you. Saved you from that. And you would think... That after he saved me from the penalties of some of my, you know, I've had some consequences. But boy, I tell you, when I think about other people's consequences, I'm like, I came out pretty good. <laughs> came out pretty good. I ain't going to lie. I came out pretty good. And we would think that this emotion should be enough to carry us into holiness. And it works for about three months. About three, four months, you good. You and Jesus, aces. Hello, somebody. You at church, you at the Sunday school, you doing all this stuff. Pastor, can I be on the usher board, Pastor? Can I sing on the choir? I want to do this stuff. I want to do this. Three, four months later, well, I got a job. <laughs> well, you know, I started my classes. Well, you know, I, I, my family, you know, my situation, my car, my car, my tires, you know. Um, before you know it, another stint has passed. And somehow the vapes and the promiscuity and the alcohol and the clubbing and the partying and the 
different lovers and it all began to resurface again and you can't figure out if this is normal or not. But the, the, the truth is most of you have been in churches where the pastor has far more gray hair than me. So you get to assume that when you grow up and get older, that all of this craziness will calm down. Hello, somebody. Now, what bothers the young people in my church is that I started doing this young. <laughs> well, thank you. And I'm pretty sure I could find myself a good old sugar daddy. I'm pretty sure I could find somebody that would roll me a little cash for a little. <sighs> I think I could. I mean, don't let this roll fool you. There is a body under here. I got plenty of degrees. Could've, I could have found a job. I'm a hardworking woman. I could get a hustle. Hello, somebody. I'm persuasive. I could sell. A, 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 what is it? Eskimo or igloo? I could. I could. I could. I could. So now this is troubling because Everybody that I run into says, are you an Instagram influencer? No. But your house, do you, are you going to put this on Instagram? Not really. But should you, you, are you an Instagram model? No. Why would I do that? This is the troubling part, is that with youth, brains, and some level of attractiveness, you would think that I will be as far away from God as you are. But that's not the case. You used to think that just old, crusty men was pastors. And then fat, <laughs> ugly, no degree having women was pastors. And then you recognize, okay, but if they are pastors, then they, they cheating. They got scandal. They sexing on the side. He got five girlfriends. Hello, somebody. Then you look at my life and go, she, 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 she. This means that you too can serve God before your hair is all gray. Hello? Now, as a pastor, before I pastored this church, I was, a senior, I was on staff at Pastor Conine's church. It was a predominantly white church for eight years, and he had three generations in his church, and we could see the progression of life from young to old. Like that baby right there? I knew him when he was that age over there, the little boy in the middle, Duke's age. Now he's almost a grown man, right? We get to see the progression. Some of you have... I've known you since you were 18, and now you're well into your 30s, ministering your life. Hello, somebody. And I know the young people don't ever think that they would waste their youth. They're pretty sure 
that at some point they're going to get this salvation together before they get into their mid-life. Any mid-lifers here? Huh? 30 and up. Any mid-lifers? Did you get it together? Did you get it? Oh, hold on, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. You mean my mid-lifers, did, it didn't magically just appear out of your life? Oh, that you just thought at some point you was going to get tired of clubbing? No, your club just got more sophisticated. You go to hookah bars rather than them little hole in the walls in the basement. You know, you know, it's sophisticated with cigars and a little bread. Scotch. But you still clubbing? You still out in them streets looking for something? Come on, you ain't, you ain't fooling nobody. You out in them streets looking for something. And if you can't get on the streets because your car busted and broken, disgusted, you searching on the web looking for something. It is something in here that is going to enhance my life. I need a life enhancement. That really what it is. I need something that's going to enhance my life. Hello? Maybe a man. A woman, a real good woman is what I need to enhance my life. Hello? That's what I need. A good career. A successful career with some successful money that will enhance my life. A side hustle, that's what I need. A side job, a side hustle, that will enhance my life. That Gucci belt, that will enhance my life. Those new Yeezy shoes, that will definitely enhance my life. And all of us gravitate toward the things that we think will enhance our lives. Right? But ultimately, all you're doing is searching. Because life just feels, uh, you won't dare to say empty, but you're constantly questioning if this is really what it's supposed to be like. So today, I want us to look at part 17. The Acts of the Saints, subtitled, What Are You Learning? The Acts of the Saints, subtitled, What Are You Learning? As we leave the information age, all right, globally, the world is divided into ages, the Bronze Age, the Iron Age, the Industrial Age. Now we're in the Information Age, and the Information Age is coming to a close. As I told you, it would last year. Did I not? Two years ago. And what do we see about the information uh, companies right now? All of our tech stocks. It's a crash in the tech industry. I mean, not even like a rally and a crash, just down, 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 down. And I told the church two years ago what to invest in for the next industry, the next age of humanity, right? Because that age is coming to an end. But because we are byproducts of the information age, we have established a world and a system where we are always learning something. Whether it's good for us or bad for us, you're always learning. From the invention of the radio to the TV with television programming, you are always learning something. 
whether it's how to do a lineup, how to put on lashes, how to fold some sheets with the, with the fitted sheet that's really difficult, how do you, gotta flip it in there. Where's the latest dance? You're always learning something. Now they got it where you can insta-learn through TikTok. Just keep going, keep going, keep going. I'm going to learn one subject a hundred times. And I would marvel at the young adults who would learn these TikTok dances. And I'd be like, oh my God, how did they learn that so fast? And I realized it's programmed to them over a thousand times a day. If I had something programmed to me over a thousand times a day, you could sing a song one time and I'm singing it all day long. Hello, somebody. But if I had something programmed to me over a thousand times a day, I'm pretty sure I could learn it too. It's not that grand. What would be grand is if you could identify how easily you learn something and then use that to your advantage to learn the things that are necessity for life. Man, I wonder, I wonder what we could call that, where you could be like intense learning about the things that pertain to life and death and eternal life and what I wonder what they would call this like this thing where no matter what you are like all day every day you're just constantly bombarded with learning things about the future and, and your eternal life and and, and 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 what happens after you die and and how this you're supposed to live this current life and just what, if, what if you could really really learn that I wonder what they would call it is there some organization that really brings people together and just constantly, like, just, like, just like trains them on how to, to understand and learn the most important thing. Like, since I'm a living being, can you teach me how to live? I just, I just want to know, can, and if I'm living and then I die, then what am I really doing here? Can you just teach me about living since I'm a living being? I wonder if there was something, some mechanism that could, its only purpose is to teach us how to live since we're always learning anyway. I'm glad you asked that mechanism is called the church. It's got all kinds of avenues of teaching people how to learn, from preaching to teaching, to evangelism, to counseling, to therapy, to love and finances and life, and from soteriology to theology to eschatology. It's, it's chock full of things that can help you understand life. But sadly, no one comes to that class. Pews are empty. And they've convinced these generations that you do better taking your device out and learning how to live through your phone and tablet. Now the trick with this is, anytime we want to interrupt a particular learning schedule, all we've got to do is send you a little ding, 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 ding. And whatever learning, life learning you were doing is now gravitating towards your emails, toward another DM, to another message. Hello, somebody. Huh. 
Okay, so so learning with all the distractions is not good. Nope, not good. So how? I, one day people go, well, how did people learn without this? They came to a building, and they had no TVs on, and they had no apps running, and no screens in their hands, and they just listened, and they took the words, and they used their brain to unravel concepts. No, 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 no. The concept wasn't given to them with a picture and some sound and their appropriate emotion. They had to create the emotion that fit the words as their brain developed an image of the spoken word said and they, they called it going to church. Amen? Amen? I just feel like at any given point you should know when you're getting bamboozled. You need to know when you're getting duped. You need to know when someone has laid before you a system and a method that is not going to benefit life. And your current system of learning and acquiring information digitally is not going to benefit the part of your life that you need to know most. So today I want to talk about what are you learning and ask Chapter 18, let's go there. Acts chapter 18, are we there? Say amen. In Acts chapter 18, we're looking at verse 1. This is the beginning of Paul's second uh, mission, missionary trip. All right. He is moving westward, uh, away from Jerusalem, away from Turkey, and now is entering into Greece. And Greece is its own, had its own situations, to say the least. There are plenty of Gentiles. And he goes to places where there's some Jewish population. And he starts off in chapter 18. And he departs from Athens and he goes to Corinth. Corinth is now the hub of trade and commerce. It used to be Athens, but Athens got lame, and so everybody's in Corinth, and <laughs> that's where Paul goes. While he's there, he's found a certain Jew who historically is believed was taught by Stephen himself. You remember Stephen, the first martyr for the cause of Christ back in Acts chapter 1. They believe that Aquila... And his wife, Priscilla, were taught by Stephen. And so Paul runs into them. Priscilla and uh, Aquila and Priscilla, he runs into these great, these, these Jews of notable uh, stature to be known. When a person's name is mentioned in the New Testament and favorably, it means that they had some hand in expanding the kingdom. All right? This is just not random. So Aquila and Priscilla were born in Pontus, and they recently came from Italy. And uh, they were fleeing Italy because Claudius, the emperor of Rome at that time, was telling all the Jews to get out of Italy. Uh, but Aquila and his wife were tent makers. And since Corinth had all the games and all the festivals and all the championship matches, 
tents were in high demand. I don't know if you care to know this, but <laughs> Paul also made tents. And so <laughs> he started to become a tent maker with Aquila and Priscilla, all right, a husband and wife couple. And they made tents <clears throat> in the day, and, in, and then and on the Sabbath they would go, Paul and Aquila and Priscilla would go, and they would try to persuade the Jews in the temple to understand the Messiah, all right? And you look at verse 3, it says 18 and 3, so because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation, they were tent makers. Now, that's just interesting. Every time somebody is mentioned, when, when Jesus called Peter, he called him to be a fisherman, right? A fisherman of souls, and Peter was already a fisherman, like a, a fish. And he said, you're going to be a fisherman of, of souls, right? And then later, you, you see Paul, who's a tent maker, who's also called to show people how God will tent or dwell among them. And their, their earthly uh, vocation resembles that of their spiritual vocation. This might help somebody. Hello, hello. Because you're always trying to get out of your earthly vocation. Thinking that there's some greater honor in a spiritual vocation. But baby, if you have not seen how your earthly vocation is also connected to your spiritual vocation, you ain't going nowhere. I'm not saying you're not called. I'm just saying you ain't going nowhere, nowhere soon because you don't even see that your vocation that you do. The, when you finally find a job that just, whether you like it or not, it fits you. <laughs> All your jobs kind of go in that direction. Every time you get hired, it's kind of along those lines. Yeah. If you haven't ascertained that about your personality yet, don't try to come into ministry. You don't even know you yet. How you going to help somebody else know God? You don't even know you. One day you're a fry cook. The other day you're a barber. Another <laughs> No, no, no. One of my favorite things online is watching all these life coaches sell these packages of coaching. See, back in the day, pastors would be life coaches. We get you and your kids and your whole family, and we, we just coach everybody. The couples, the babies, they get to teenagers, we're coaching. They just, everybody, they go to college, they get degrees, they come back, they leave God, they come back. We just, it's just life coach. Now, since nobody trusts the church and nobody trusts preachers and pastors anymore, there's this new thing of life coaching coming up where just people can help you figure out how to, how to live your life and, and help you work around and navigate some of the, the triggers and roadblocks in your life. And, and they're selling these packages and people are buying them. But what I think is hilarious is that these people haven't even mastered their own life. This is not to say that pastors have mastered salvation, but I assure you that when the Holy Ghost really calls a pastor, they had to meet his qualifications for understanding enough and succeeding in enough to lead the people behind them. It is not my fault that Greater Temple Baptist Church got together a pastor search committee that elected somebody that did not master life and got, that God had not anointed. Hello? He over here sleeping with the secretary. See, that's, that's, don't put that on God. All right? Y'all picked him. 
<laughs> put that on the selection committee that, that chose him. Hello, somebody. Hello, put that on him. It said he was ready. You're not ready. If you're sleeping with the members, you're not ready. You're one. You're one time. You're done. Go somewhere else. Let somebody else trust you with they flock. You eat one of my sheep, you're done. How am I going to convince the rest of the sheep to trust you? They saw you maul them. <laughs> How can I get you to trust God when I don't trust him enough to do what I'm preaching you to do? If I can't not sin and be unmarried, single, hello somebody, with a functioning body, how can I encourage you to trust God enough to be unmarried, single, and a functioning body? That means with hormones. If the leader is a leader for a reason, and now it's gotten so bad that church members don't even want to hold their leader to any standard because they are so tired of being disappointed. They just figured that the standard must not exist and I must look at this thing all wrong. But there is a standard. There is a way. And just because most leaders don't live in the standard does not mean you take down the standard. So now we just, the parishioners make it something different and the church members make it something different. I mean, the, the leaders make it different. The leaders say, I ain't, I ain't Jesus, you know. And the church members say, they ain't Jesus, you know. One woman said, I don't care who my pastor is smashing as long as he's preaching that good word. Like, I'm pretty sure God could use any any word, but I just don't need a good word that motivates me and encourages me. I need to be taught how to live. Because when I'm doing it, it don't look right, and it certainly don't feel right. Like, I can handle it if it don't look right, you know? But if I don't even connect with my own life, like it's a part, like this don't feel like what I'm supposed to be feeling when I'm doing life, then you need to learn. And church is full of people who do not connect with the actual life that they are living. They feel that it somehow it doesn't fit me. So we have identity issues and identity crisis and sexual and gender issues and, and singleness and marital issues and, and parenting issues and financial issues because somebody's life is consistently and persistently not fitting them. And no one wants to teach them how to live. A very long intro, the topic is, what are you learning? Are you learning how to live? And in order to answer that question, are you learning how to live? It has to first start with the understanding that you will die. Because what we are very sure of is that the people that live be the same people that die. Now, 
That's what we're sure of. Everyone is certain of that. There is no question about that. Isn't that interesting? People question all kinds of stuff, fake news, fake truth. But everybody's pretty certain that that person was alive and then that person is dead. So living people die. So if I had to teach you how to live your life, it has to first come under the truth that you will die. Right? If you will die, then that's problematic because now I have to answer then what is the purpose of living. Just drilling this down. Are you there? Are you with me? Like, if I'm going to have to learn how to live, then it comes under the gloom that I will die. And everybody that has lived had died. So, uh, why, do, why, why do we live? And most of us try to answer the purpose in order to figure out the how. If I could figure out why, that I could figure out how. And you do that with your, with your Christianity. Okay, so the purpose of my life is to worship God. Right? How many people have thought that? Uh-huh. Right. And for the most part, we start off thinking that that means to sing songs. And then they tell us in heaven that we're going to be singing and worshiping all day, every day. And hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. And we used to be worshiping God every day. Now, instantly, people are like, I don't know about that heaven situation. I mean, it sounds good and all. So now we have to figure out why am I alive since life itself is temporary. Right? So before I can even teach you how to live, the problem is, why are you living? Now, I cannot answer why you are living. Can't answer that. But I can tell you how. How to have life. How to do life. I'm a firm believer that at the end of your temporal life, We will look back over your story, and we will see the purpose in it. Like a seed that went into the ground that produced one single flower. Hello, somebody. That at the end, when you are planted, and then we will see at the end the fruit of your life, and that will show us the why. But I, 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 can't, I can't tell you from looking at you, yeah, it's, your, 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 your body's going to be purple. It's going to have some white edges. It's, I can't tell you that. It's all kind of stuff that's going to go down in this soil. Hello, somebody. But I can tell you how to get it to grow. I can tell you how to get it to life. Y'all don't want to help me today. And most of you, you put the cart before the ox. Hello? You try to figure out the why. And then I just line myself up with the why. Okay, I'm called to be a minister, so let me do minister stuff. <laughs> I'm called to be a teacher, let me do teacher stuff. I'm called to sing, let me do singing stuff. I'm called to do it. This is my purpose. So now everything, that is not how growing things works. 
Not at all. The one that created the essence of the thing has already predetermined its fruit. Hello? The seed does not know what it will be. This is stupid. You're trying to figure out the purpose of your life in order to line yourself up with it as if a seed could know that it's going to be an orange. It's not going to know that. But I could teach you how to get to that dirt. Okay. I could teach you. Come on. Come on. Where am I? Where you? I could teach you how to get to that ground. Hello, somebody. I could teach you what you do on the inside of that dirt. I can tell you what you do on the inside of there. At the end of your life, it will be made very plain why you were here. It will be obvious. All will see the fruit of your life. Those that remain after you've died will begin to speak about your life. You know, he was so funny. She was always so sweet. Now, we don't know if we're really looking at you correctly. But God will. So, what are you learning? Have you been spending your life on TikTok and Instagram? Trying to learn something temporal that will fade? Have you been going to work to learn a vocation and not recognize its significance to your spiritual life? Are you dying? Are the things that you're taking in leading you to an everlasting life, or are you taking in things that will just continue to decay themselves? That's what I'm, I'm, that's what I'm trying to figure out. So what are you learning? By the time Paul gets to Corinth, he meets Aquila and Priscilla, and he's been in the synagogue trying to teach the Jews about the Messiah. He's using Old Testament scripture, prophets like Amos, Zechariah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Haggai. And he's running through the, the prophets of the Jewish people, trying to show the nature and character of the would-be Messiah. Now, bear in mind, Paul already knows that Jesus is that Messiah, but that is not where he starts. Because when you're teaching somebody about life, you don't start with the answer. <laughs> nope. You start with where they are. You start with what understanding they do have. Hello, somebody. Yeah. Pastor, give us the answer to the, to the disciple. Nope. Let's first learn how to take a note. Okay, open your notebook. <laughs> Write this down. Read this scripture. Now read it again. Now what do you think? Okay, that's stupid. Don't think that. That's, throw that away. That's slop. Let's really dig deeper and think more clearly. Okay, now that's better. That makes sense. Pastor, what I'm thinking doesn't make sense. Well, don't say it. I'm hoping you can make sense of something that doesn't make sense. Why would I want to do that? 
I don't want to make sense of anything that doesn't make sense to you. I, I prefer to just talk about things that make sense. But I just feel nobody cares. I want to express how I feel. That's, that's, that's not what this is for. I don't want to hear about your feelings. We're here to learn about life and how to live it, right? So I can't give you the answer. I have to start with what information you do have. In life, similar to scripture that Paul is doing with the Jews, people come to me at all times and they say, Pastor, this is what I want to do with my life. And I sit down in their first meeting, members meeting as a new member, and I listen to their life if they want to share. I listen to their heart, and I try to figure out where they're at. Sometimes we get into where they want to go. For the most part, wherever you are when I meet you is where we start. Years later... You might come and ask me like, Sheena, why didn't you tell me to do this differently? Why didn't you? Because that's not where you were. We always want to know the right answer so that we can circumvent all of the pain that comes with learning. What we should recognize about God is that he uses the pain to transform us. Satan uses the pain to destroy us. But God uses the pain to transform us. So while you're trying to get the right answer to avoid the pain of getting it wrong, God recognizes that the pain is a necessary cause to your actual transformation. It's necessary. That don't, it's got to be, I can still get it without pain. You can't. Uh-huh, I could just, just give me the pill, just tell me the answer, I'll do it. Paul said, uh-uh, the will to do is in me, but I cannot find. I be wanting to do right, but I end up doing wrong. Hello, somebody. This is what Paul says. So what, what am I going to do? He says, Jesus. Jesus becomes the answer. How does Jesus become the answer to your pain? we're going to look at today. How's believing in Jesus become an answer to my pain? And most of the black church has taught that Jesus is an answer to your pain because he's a doctor in the sick room. He's a lawyer in the courtroom. Come on. Hello, somebody. These things may be true. And And in some cases, he is. But there are still believers that get sick and die, and there's still believers that go to jail. I'm calling me for bail. You might need to be in jail. How am I supposed to know? But Jesus is supposed to deliver me from prison. Yeah, spiritual prison, not that prison. I don't know. Talk to your lawyer. So we're taught that Jesus... Believing in Jesus, the only way we know him to be the answer is that he comes and fixes all our wrong. Duh. That's the answer. No. No. He's an answer in another way. 
Hello, somebody. If I give you a, a math problem, right? And before you can figure it out, because you don't know how, all right, I just tell you, and the answer is three. The answer is three. So write down three. Three. You got it right. Congratulations. How do you feel? You, you would think that you would feel bad, but most of you do not. Every time God fixes it for you, you go right back to it. Pick up your face. Pick up your face. Pick up your face. You want to believe in of yourself that if God gave you the answer this time, if he fixed it for you this one time, you would never do it again. I'd never go back there again. I'd really be faithful this time. And that is not true. Amen. Tell me, I don't even know how it ended up back with somebody else just like the last person I was with. I don't even know how I ended up doing the exact same thing. I just, I didn't even know it was going to be the same thing until I look now it is the same thing. How did I? So apparently giving you the answer doesn't even satisfy how you've been made. Hello? You remember when God made man, he gave him the command to be fruitful and multiply, which means in our nature is the innate desire and ability to take in a seed and to grow it from nothing to something, from very little, immature, from a zygote to something full. And we don't just want to do that one time. We want to do it a lot of times. We want to take a lot of stuff in that was very little and then make a lot of things from it. We want you to give us a problem. And then we sit here and we work out the problem, and through the working out of this problem, we come up with not just a solution, but many solutions. It is our innate desire, how we are created, to want to be fruitful. So if I give you the answer, that still does not satisfy your soul, because that's not how you've been formed. What you really desire is the ability to come to that answer. You really desire the type of nature that can produce that answer in of yourself. I just, I want to come to the right answer. I want, I want to know the right answer. Hello, some, and mostly, I just want to know what's the right thing to do. I just, I just want to know God's will. I just want to know what God wants for me. And a lot of believers struggle with this, not because they don't really mean it. They struggle with it because they don't know how to become that type of individual. You don't know how to become the type of person that can actually work out that type of math problem. Because most of what we're teaching you to do is give you the answer. Don't do that. Put that down. Pick this up. Write number three. Repeat after me. Our Father which art in heaven. 
come on, just do it, just do it. And that doesn't satisfy. Hmm? So now we have to teach, really is what you want to know, is how. How to become a person that could solve the problem, fix the thing, be fruitful. I don't want the answer. If it's within me to know how to do it, I want to produce more answers, help more people, solve more problems. Now, in order to be that, there is a way, and it comes with pain. Why? Because your nature has to change. All right, I'll show it to you in the scriptures, okay? Timothy, so Paul was, was really trying to reason with the Jews in the synagogue, using Old Testament scripture to say and to show from what they understood, he would come in as a, as, as in, 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 in like a rabbi. And as a guest speaker, he would come in with the right things traditionally to say, do you have a word for us? And, and some synagogues would give him the floor, and he began to teach. And they said, come back tomorrow. We want to hear more about this. And, and Paul would reason in the synagogues in order to teach them about the Messiah, pulling up scriptures and prophecies to say that he, Bethlehem was involved and to say that he would have suffered something and, and to say that uh, uh, he would have gone down to Egypt. And, and, and he would use all of the Old Testament scriptures to highlight and to pull out what the Jews should expect to see as it relates to the coming Messiah. And for the most part, this all fit. It gelled very well with them. But when Paul, when Silas and Timothy came, all right, they're his helpers and everything, his, 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 his students in some cases, all right. When they came, Paul started to get indignant. He was like, all right, now we done did this rodeo enough. It's time for me to tell you, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. The Messiah is Jesus. When they heard this, they were upset. <laughs> I mean, all this time, you were just building us up for all these days just to tell us it was the Jesus that we heard, that our, our brothers crucified as the false Messiah. It was not him. And they blasphemed. And they opposed him. And Paul just shook his head. He said, you know what? Fine. Your blood is on your own head. I'm not dealing with this. I showed it to you in scripture. You know you see it. You just don't want to admit it. Because to admit that you really see it means you did something really wrong. You ain't just do a little bit of wrong. Baby, you did a lot of wrong. And you need a lot of help. Most people don't want to make change because it requires them to see how far off they really are. Like, for example, you over here shacking with your boyfriend. Hello, somebody. You can't really get fully saved. Come on, y'all don't want to play fair to me. You can't really accept Christ fully because both your names on the lease. I said it. And you think it to yourself, self, what's the likelihood that I'm going to go back home, tell my boyfriend, 
we, we can't have sex no more. And then we actually going to not do it. You sit in my church, you try to hype yourself up. Yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do that. I'm going I'm to I'm I'm go tell him. Now, bear in mind, he ain't even here. First indication, this is not going to go well. Is he in church with you? So you can't really accept what I'm saying. I can, I can go the other way. We can go to homosexual way, same stuff. You can't really fully accept change because you have to deal with the idea that you are actually doing, if, the, if what I'm saying is true, then the Bible calls what you're doing abominable. I can't, I can't be abominable. I, 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 I was raised in the church. I can't be abominable. That's a bit harsh, don't you think? Not only that, but for our, our brothers and sisters in the gay and lesbian community, it's not just a matter of their, who they love, it's also all of their identity, all of their friends, all of their family, their entire support system, their network, the people that were family to them before they even had any family. I can't go and I, I can't make no changes because then who, how, what, who, when, and all the questions about how you're gonna actually do this, start to show themselves to be pretty much impossible. Like if you really want me to make this kind of change, this is, this is not possible. It's, it's, it's not possible. I mean, you, you got to be superhuman to be able to do what you're asking me to do. You're asking me to walk away from everybody I love. You're asking me to go out there and just move out and, and not have a place to live. You're asking me just to walk away from the entire situation. So they sit in church Sunday after Sunday, wrestling with the idea of you can't possibly be asking me to do this. And that spins off in them as some sort of, of, of bitterness where everybody is, is overly scrutinized. So everybody's got to be wrong because you can't make this kind of change. If only there was like some type of superhuman power. If only there was like, if you could believe in Jesus, because I do believe in Jesus, but I still can't fathom how I'm supposed to do that. If only there was like some extra juice you could get, like if you believe in Jesus and then like they give you like a power pack that just makes you just like really just leave everything that you need to leave and walk away from everything you need to walk away from and, and really just become just, if only it existed. What are you learning? <laughs> what are you learning? So Paul told him, all right, I'm tired of fooling up with y'all. All right, I met you where you were. I told you the truth. I showed it to you. You saw it for yourself. It was all fulfilled in Jesus. <gasps> they were like, no, clutch pearls, no. You betrayed us. Yeah, it's Jesus. So he turned his back. He said, look, your blood is on your head. I'm, I'm, I'm out. He says, from now on, I'm not ministering to the Jews no more. I'm going to go minister to Gentiles. 
And he storms out of the tabernacle. Forget y'all. I'm going to go preach to Gentiles. Your blood is on your head. And he storms out and he goes right next door. <laughs> to a man's house named Justice who literally lived next door. And he was a Gentile and Paul began to preach to the Gentiles. This Gentile phrase means he began to preach to people that had no lineage or history in God. They was just, I never went to church. I always know about them church people, but that was not our life. That's not what we did. That's not how I was raised. You understand? And so Paul began to stay over there with them and preach and teach all the Gentiles. Yes? When he started preaching to the Gentiles, the ruler of the synagogue that rejected him got saved. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue that rejected Paul, said, you know what? He's right. He walked us all the way through the scriptures. There we go right there. All the accounts of Jesus says that he fulfilled all of those. It's Jesus. He got saved right then and there. And then many Jews began to follow after that. So with this big turnaround, and many were baptized, including the ruler of the synagogue, the chiefest of Jews in this town, he got saved. It's not looking good for the Jews, okay? They elect a new leader, and we won't really hear much about them for a minute. God then tells Paul in a vision, whatever you do, don't stop preaching what I'm telling you. Just keep going, keep going, keep going. Keep going, keep going, keep going. He said, don't even fret. No harm's going to come to you. I got a lot of people that believe in me, that are really there in Corinth. So don't stop. A new ruler of the synagogue is elected, Sothenus. And Sothenus gets all of the Jews again. After about six months, a year and six months, Paul is just teaching the Gentiles. Other Jews are coming to the faith, but they have to come out of the synagogue in order to come to the faith. Instead of mixed in with the Gentiles. Eventually the Jews in that year and six months get another ruler. And he incites all of the Jews now to go and take Paul before the Roman council. Like Paul, like your honor, listen. They bring Paul up to the pro-council, Gallus. He says, look, your honor, this man, he is over here preaching stuff, telling us to serve God in a way that does not fit how we know to serve God, and you need to do something about this. Gala says, uh, excuse you. Number one, what they got to do with me? If you would have murdered somebody, killed somebody, something like that, then maybe. But y'all just talking, you want me to judge a matter between, of theology between you? Y'all, y'all Jews sound alike to me. <laughs> so deal, deal with that on your own. I'm not judging that kind of stuff. Get out, of my, get out of my judgment seat and kicks them out. When he kicks out Suthenus and all the Jews, all the Jews jump Suthenus. Right in front of the pro-council. I mean, maybe this is not exciting to you guys, but it's a good story. By the time you get to Corinthians, guess who gets saved? Suthenus. Can you imagine what kind of pain you had to go through 
to learn that you had it wrong. Crispus came to the first ruler, hello somebody, came to the recognition that he got it wrong before he had to get beat. So Thetis didn't come, hello, because he was in the same synagogue, got up in his position, got promoted, and still did not know he was wrong all this time until his wrong turned on him. Sometimes it is your consequences that really shows you how far off you are. That problem you got to deal with really shows you you. So Thena's got beat up by his own ideology, by his own opinion, by his own life. His own life beat the snot out of him. Y'all don't try to help me. Thank you, Brother Stephon. Somebody help me, all right? What you built. What you kept moving in the ranks to succeed, your vision board ends up beating the snot out of you. You got the marriage and y'all need a divorce. You got the kids and you ain't got no money. You got the job and you ain't got no time. I mean, the life you built is now destroying you. And what it reveals is what was in you all along. Like, is, this, is this really who I am? Yeah, this, this who you are. I, I, I'm different than him. No, you weren't. And to be honest, what beat him up is what he is matured. The consequences of your sin is what your sin would look like full grown. Okay. I sometimes I try to stop people because sin is, is, a, is a kind of fluid thing. Some sins, in God's eye, yes, every one sin is, no sin is greater than the other. But that's not true in how we live. That's true from God's perspective because he's so perfect and holy. But how we live, I assure you, stomping on an ant yields me a different type of life than shooting a man. Okay? All right? So sin in of ourselves is uniquely different, Right? And how we, it affects our lives. I try to stop people in the throes of struggling with sin. You know, I'm talking about people that perpetually get stuck in sin. The habit is beginning to take over them. The justification and the pattern of, okay, I'm going to stop. Okay, no, I'm not. Okay, I'm going to stop. Okay, no, I'm not. Okay, I'm going to stop that. And I try to stop them on that seesaw because what they don't recognize is that in a minute, this sin is going to be full grown. There's a point when your sin was a baby. Come on, there was a point where it was just something so you could just walk away from it, hello somebody, and it really not be that big of a deal. You know, I could take it or leave it, uh-huh. And then you keep the, and the problem is that most of y'all keep the I could take it or leave it mindset. Why are you going back and forth? And you think that as long as you're thinking I can take it and leave it as you're going back and forth, that you can really just take it or leave it. What you don't understand is that the more that you take it, the more it grows. Hello, somebody. And the less and less you actually leave it, you just keep taking it and keep taking it and keep, hello, somebody. And what you keep thinking, I can leave it at any time. And I'd be like, you can't leave it at any time. And you don't even know. 
that the sin that started off as a baby has gotten full grown. When you say, I ain't doing that no more, it's like, the heck you is. You're going to do this today. You done grew this thing, and it is the boss of you. It bosses you now. It tell you what to do. I ain't vaping. Go ahead and buy that vape. Man, I ain't drinking no more. Go ahead and drink that drink. It ain't going to hurt you. Man, I ain't calling him. Go ahead and call him. It's bossing you around. It got to the point where he was like, I ain't going to do it. I ain't going to do it. If you don't do it, you're going to die. Look how you're feeling. Ain't your life miserable? Ain't you so bad? What's the point of living? This ain't even living. You feel so bad. Why don't you go ahead and call him? Go ahead and call him. Maybe you love him. It probably is love because he's the only one that can make you feel better. This thing is running you. What happens if I could take it or leave it? What happened? I'm not, I'm not going to get my heart involved. It's just I'm going to hit it and quit. What happened to that, huh? Did you... Did you did you fall victim to the game? Huh? Oh, huh? Look at you. You're not, you're not super strong, are you? <laughs> you know how many girls I talk to they be like, nah, Pastor, I, I'm not even gonna get my heart involved. I'm just gonna get my little something, something, and I'm not even gonna. And TikTok and Instagram is notorious for making you feel like hyping you up. Sis, you can go ahead and get that. You can get that and walk away. You ain't gotta put your heart into it. You even catch no feelings, all right? This is about that money. This is about getting your, you know, the other. You be like, yeah, I ain't even gonna. Pastor, he said, he, he said that. I don't even know why. What? How you gonna act like this? Like his baby. This is his baby. He don't even call me. I try to test him. He gonna, he gonna, tell, he gonna tell you back, like, what's up? What you mean, what's up? Amen. I thought you weren't gonna get involved, were you? Sin has a way of maturing. And it's, it matures to the point where you thought you was running it. You're using this to appease you. And the more you use it, the more it grows. And the more it grows, it's going to rule you. I try to stop people before the sin gets so big that it rules them. They'd be like, you don't know me, Pastor. I got it. We could just be friends. You don't know. It's platonic. <laughs> you don't know, Pastor. Next thing you're in my office comes on. I don't know what's wrong with me. It's just like I can't seem to let that person go. And you swear Something that started with the seed of sin could actually be love. Something that started off at the basis of selfishness at its core could actually be love. That don't even make no sense. I'm going to shoot you. Don't even care if you die, but this could be the start of a beautiful relationship. I'm going to sleep with you. Don't even care if you get trapped in this or not. Just so I can feel good. But, but this is love. We love each other. Pastor, you should accept our relationship because we love each other. 
Don't even make any sense. Am I too close to y'all? Y'all? Am I, am I too? You want me to come off this topic? Are you uncomfortable because I'm telling you that there's absolutely no way that your relationship that started with the roots of sin, lust, hello somebody, and codependency could actually be love? Or the idea that you, who never knew how to love, could actually learn how to love by another flawed individual? But, but I never knew it love. I never, what, what you gonna learn it from him? You gonna learn love from her? They're not even good at it. Learn love from somebody that's good at it. All right, let me move on. Y'all ready to go? I'm sorry. I got too many rabbit trails. I haven't gotten to what I need to get to. So I kicked him out and they beat him. They beat Sothenus. He was destroyed. Paul remained in Corinth for a while. When he was getting ready to go, he took Priscilla and Aquila with him. Um, he wanted to go to Ephesus, then to Jerusalem um, for the Passover. When he gets to Ephesus, he leaves Priscilla and Aquila, the husband and wife couple, at Ephesus. He says, you guys stay here. Now, Ephesus, he was over here in Greece. Ephesus, Ephesus is across the Mediterranean Sea, north of Jerusalem, all right? So he goes back there, drops them off. They stay there. And he proceeds to go on to some other places and encouraging some more disciples. Now, while Priscilla and Aquila, and I'm changing the order of their name, Priscilla was the wife and Aquila was the husband. The scriptures denote Priscilla's name first. That naming the wife first, in the New Testament, they are named in the order of their effectiveness in preaching the gospel. So Priscilla was not just a wife. She was fluent in scripture. She understood Old Testament. She was an excellent communicator and she was humble. She is named first in all of the manuscripts because she was the chief teacher between her husband and wife. I'm just saying. <laughs> they run into a Jew who is a powerful teacher. His name is Apollos. He is a powerful preacher, teacher. He goes into the synagogues and he teaches and expounds upon scripture in the Old Testament like you would not believe. He begins to reveal the attributes of the Messiah, similar to what Paul was doing, right? And he begins to talk to them and, and show them the history of the Messiah and what the Messiah and all the prophecies. And the Jews are loving it and he's so powerful. And a Priscilla and Aquila hear him teach. And he believes up to John the Baptist. Apollos believes up to John the Baptist. Now John the Baptist, you remember John the Baptist. John the Baptist knew that Jesus was the Messiah, 
right? He knew that I am just here to, 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 to prepare the way for the Messiah, all right? And I'm just setting things in order for the real Messiah to come, but I am not the Messiah. And Apollos would take the teachings of John the Baptist and show all of the attributes of the Messiah. He would have to be the Lamb of God. He would have to be sacrificed. He might come from Bethlehem. There would be some sign. He would have to go down to Egypt at some point. And, he, and, and, and Sathenus, just similar to Paul, could open up and expound the scriptures with such charisma. But he did not know about Jesus. When Priscilla and Aquila hear him speak and how he could reveal the Messiah through prophets. And, and, and when somebody opens up a scripture and goes, look at that. Oh, I never even saw that before. Now look at that. Oh, my God, it's been there all this time, and I never even noticed it. You know, right? And so that's what he was doing. Priscilla takes him aside and teaches him about Christ and says, your chief disciple that you follow John the Baptist saw his day. John the Baptist served God and Christ and knew that Christ was the Lamb of God. Apollos was like, oh my God. You mean to tell me the Messiah was here? Oh, you done messed up now. If my whole life was spent on trying to understand who the coming Messiah would be, trying to figure out what I should look for, try to figure out what I should, I should expect to see, try to dig into it to figure out what God is really going to do. And that's what I spent my life doing. And then you tell me that it actually happened. And then as you describe what happened, I'm running through what I've already learned. Come on, somebody. And I'm running through all the things that I was prepared to see. And you don't even know, Priscilla, that you are really talking to me about what I read in Micah and you don't even know Priscilla but that's really in Isaiah and you don't even understand that when you said that I saw that in Daniel and Apollos is like oh I'm a believer what I want to highlight here for you is the progression of learning the progression of your faith you are still responsible to master all that you currently know. Can you write that down? I am responsible. I am responsible to master all that I currently know. How many people know that Jesus is Lord? How many have that mastered? Let's do it again. How many people know that Jesus is Lord? How many people have that mastered? Mm. Maybe one. You can raise your hand. Don't be embarrassed if you, oh, I think I've got it mastered. Humbly speaking, Pastor. How many people know what the Trinity is? How many people have that mastered? Huh. How many people know what water baptism means? How many people have it mastered? Uh, a couple of hands from the, from the retreat, maybe. Okay. You're responsible to master what you already know so that when more is revealed, it will connect with how you've already been solving the equation. Y'all don't. Okay, okay. 
This is going to help your self-defeatism. You know what you do. You think to yourself, well, since nobody could ever really know, then what's the point? Isn't that what you say? Since nobody could ever really know, since it's too big for me to ever really understand, since I will never get it, then what's the point? See, now you got to throw that away because you are responsible to master what you do know in preparation that when he is ready to reveal more, add more to what you know, you could receive it. Apostle was able to receive it because he had already understood up to John the Baptist the characteristics and the trait of the Messiah. Other Jews had never mastered it. But they mastered it in their mind conflict with where their heart was. And they couldn't even receive Christ. You are still responsible to master what you already know. Amen. Apollos received this teaching as good as he was and was like, this is the one. This is it. And then after that, the scripture says he preached fervently. Now he's like, oh, the Messiah was here. Oh, the king was here. We killed him, but he was here. We crucified him, but he was here. This is the big deal, amen? He began to preach fervently. This is why even as you learn, you have to be teachable. That's why study is a part of your discipline. How can you know how to do life if you don't study? I know it's hard to turn down the phone. I know it's hard to turn off the TV. But your life depends on it. I got stuff here to help you. You know, if we just need a little help. Turning the TV off, a little help, putting the phone down. I got stuff here to help you with that so you could actually learn how to live. It's important. It will satisfy your soul. I promise it will. It'll give depth to what you're living. All right. So he began to speak even more boldly. He began to preach with vigor. And he began to refute the Jews publicly. I mean, he was now, he is armed. Hello? And he is like, no, that's why Jesus was the Messiah. And no, that's why Jesus is the Messiah. And no, that's, he was, and he was, I mean, just slaughter them. All right? So eventually he went on to Corinth in chapter 19 of Acts. Paul went to Corinth. All right? I mean, excuse me, Apollos went to Corinth. He's going to do a little teaching in Corinth. Corinth is back in Greece, okay, in Achaia, right? Um, in order to go, they had to write to say, hey, we're sending Apollos. He's cool. <laughs> Receive him. <laughs> All right. So he goes to Corinth, and it was just in the, in the province of Achaia, where the, the proconsul, where Suthanus was beat up. He wants to go back there. And again, he's powerful there. I mean, he's adding understanding to what people believed in their hearts. Has anybody ever done that for yes, you? Yes. Like I know something is true, but I don't have the understanding as to why it's true. I just feel this. 
when somebody can do that, isn't that a powerful move? That's what he was to them. Like, oh, oh, finally the answer. Oh, I feel so much better. So he went back to Corinth. While he goes to Corinth, Paul goes to Ephesus. And Paul shows up at Ephesus where Aquila and Priscilla were, where Apollos was, right, where they learned about Jesus. And Paul runs into a random disciple. It's like, hey, did you, when you believe, he's like, you believe? Yeah, 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 I'm a believer. And yeah, Jesus, yes, 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 yes. Did you receive the Holy, get the Holy Spirit when you believed? What? <laughs> Literally. Let's do it again. For all my slow listeners, Paul goes by Ephesus, where Priscilla and Aquila were, where Apollos learned that Jesus was the Messiah. He began to preach and argue against it. Now there are disciples of Christ there, people that believe in Jesus, right? And Paul rocks up to a disciple and says, hey, did you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost when... When you got saved, when you, when you became a disciple, they said, what? <laughs> we ain't even heard of no gift of the Holy Ghost. What? 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 You mean Paul, I mean Aquila and Priscilla, Apollo's been here. You got all these people that are following Christ, and Paul comes to check to see because Traditionally, in all of the acts that we've been looking at, when Gentiles, just like the Jews, the 12 apostles that were Jewish, when they received uh, the truth about Christ, they were also given the gift of the Holy Ghost. And then Peter sees the same thing amongst Gentiles. They begin to speak in tongues like the Jews did with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so it became apparent that when converts become Christians, there's also a something that happens where they get the gift of the Holy Spirit. And apparently, it's something that is known by them and those who laid hands on them. It is something that happens and it is apparent. It is an event that has taken place. Because I could ask you, you could say yes. I could ask the person that was there and they say yes too. Like I just want something to happen in you, in myself, by myself. And so he says, yeah, so when you guys got converted, whew. That gift of the Holy Ghost, that was powerful, wasn't it? What? What? Wait. I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> so he says, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. What you mean you don't know what the Holy Ghost is? You don't know what the gift of the Holy Ghost is? I was like, we never heard that there was even such a Holy Spirit. A spirit of holiness? What, what is it? He says, okay, well, when you was baptized, <laughs> you were baptized in the name of Jesus, right? He was like, no, we got baptized um, uh, up to the John baptism. Through the John the Baptist baptism, we got, you know, remission of sins. We, 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 we've been baptized up to that point. So you've never been baptized in the name of Jesus? <sighs> Again, we don't even know what you're talking about. We don't even, nobody ever talk. Now this is Paul, so you can imagine the disciples is like, <laughs> Paul, if you said there was something else I was supposed to have, there's something else is supposed to be going on in my life and that I don't have it. I, my, am I not saved? Am I no longer a Christian? Was it all a dream? I don't understand. 
sound familiar? Sound real recent to some of the people that have some questions in this church. But Pastor, is that a second baptism? Am I, am I saved? Do I, is there another level? Is there like the beginner level and then the professional Christian level? That I'm, and we, are we all supposed to be the professional Christians in the Holy Spirit and the baptism? Or is that just for ministers? How does that work? Hello? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? In, in Acts 19 and 2, Paul asked. So they said, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? Like, who, what was you baptized into? They said, they said, unto the John's baptism. He said, then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people, that they should believe on him who will come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. Hello? When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They said, oh! So our first baptism was a baptism that identifies that we have turned away from sin. He says, yes. Now you need to be baptized, identifying that Jesus is the one that forgives you of that sin. Paul baptized you saying that he is coming. Now that he came, you have to be baptized saying that, oh, he did come. He was here. And the remission of sins that I was looking for has happened by way of Christ. So these people go back to the water. Anybody, I baptize you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Pastor, do we have to get two baptisms? No. Here you are baptized in the name of Jesus. All right? Because he already came. Okay? Okay? He, he, okay, following? Whew, that's one answer down. And then after that, looking at the verse, we're in verse five. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. And when he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. Stop right there. Okay. So he goes, baptizes them again in the water, identifying that now you're baptized into Christ, into the Holy Spirit. Into the Holy Spirit. We often associate death and spirit, don't we? If you die physically, it's your spirit that remains. When he says, I'm going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit, there's some type of death that has to happen that you might be placed in a spirit, in, in spirit, in holy spirit, right? This 
this baptism of the Holy Spirit, this baptism in Christ, and then the gift of the Holy Spirit are two separate things, according to this scripture. That you're baptized for the remission of sins, and then hands are laid upon you, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I wonder what the gift of the Holy Spirit is for. Maybe what happened to them immediately after they received the gift, they began to prophesy. What does the word prophesy mean? It means they begin to speak the word of God. This could be a foretelling. This could be a present. This could be your old scriptures. Or it could be new things. But they begin to speak the word of God, and they begin to speak with different tongues. So whatever it is, baptism of the Holy Ghost definitely affects how you think and what you do. Right? Affects how you think and what you manifest. Some things you'll say that are understood to be of God. Other things you say, you don't even know why you're saying them. That's what the tongues are. But you say them both nonetheless. I'm trying to help somebody here. Some things you do and you know that it is of God that this comes from your life. Other things come from you that you don't even know what it means or what it is, but it is still coming from and for God. Nobody wants to help me preach, Lord. I'm trying to preach. What we don't recognize about God and how he uses us is that there are definite things that you could say, I know God told me. I know God wants this. I know God said no. I know God said yes. I know. And then the other thing, I don't even know why this is here. Why am I over here? How did my life go over there? Why did it go in this direction? How did I end up? You don't even know how your life got down this path. But when you are baptized with the gift of the Holy Spirit, even that speaks of the goodness of Y'all better act like you love him. Even that speaks of the goodness of God. So did you hear what the man said? They hadn't even heard of the gift of the Holy Ghost. They didn't even know about being baptized in the name of Lord Jesus. Then they received both of them. It's interesting how this particular chapter lines up succinctly with what you wanted to study in terms of baptism of the Holy Ghost in your discipleship classes on last Thursday. It just so happened to line up. No, no, I'm serious. I didn't do this. Stefan had the question two weeks ago before the discipleship class started. We were already in Acts for almost seven months. There's no way I could make sure that we perfectly line up with something that he's going to have a question about later. Y'all won't acknowledge the fact that even when you don't see, when you're baptized into the spirit of God, it still speaks of his goodness. 
you didn't even know that you needed to be here when you needed to be here, but you are right where you need to be when you needed to be it, and you couldn't even have made it happen if you tried. Come on, why don't you learn this? Most of y'all worry so much about whether you're going to be right, get it right, be where you need to be, how you're supposed to do it. When you're baptized with the gift of the Holy Ghost, you just know I'm going to be where I'm supposed to be, when I'm supposed to be there, and how I'm supposed to be there. You don't have that type of assurance in of your own self. But if you walk with God and you ever get lost and just want to know, God, I haven't drifted, he'll show you you're right where you need to be when you need to be there. Hello, somebody. So, he said, did you receive when you believed? Now, I want to look at baptism. I want to look at baptism, and I want to look at the gift of the Holy Ghost. Since this is Paul that was asking, let's go to Romans, where he does some pretty good teaching about the Holy Spirit and baptism. Let's go to Romans, chapter 6. Let's look, go back to uh, chapter 5 last couple of verses of chapter 5. In order to understand this new gift, and what is unique is at the end of the verses we read in Acts, it said that once he preached the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the baptism in Jesus for the remission of sins, and then he laid hands on them and they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, he went back to the temple and started teaching, but this time he's not teaching about the Messiah coming. Now he's teaching about the kingdom of God. I think one of the problems that we make in, a, in American church, and especially in African American church, is that we start teaching about the benefits of the kingdom of God before people have really been baptized with the Holy Ghost. We, we want to, do you remember when the black church went through this kingdom thing? Everything was kingdom, 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 kingdom. And it's true, everything is kingdom. But it does not help if you tell people the answer is kingdom when you not have, not have shown them how to work to get that answer. They don't even know. I'm, I'm the kingdom. I declare it and decree it. That's not what kingdom is. The kingdom is I just believe it. I believe it and I have it. That's not what kingdom is. Okay, the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Even when you read that scripture and that's how the kingdom is defined, do you have any more clarity? Okay, the kingdom of God is like angels and spirits, and does that help? Does you have more clarity now? No. That's interesting. You got all these pieces, but you have not mastered what you actually know. So Paul goes on to start teaching about baptism, right? And baptism in the Holy Ghost. He starts off in a whole diatribe about Adam and sin and how in Adam one man sinned and everybody pretty much got the sin bug and in Christ one man was righteous and everybody gets to be made righteous he says that for the most part Adam was a prototype an archetype I should say that how mankind in of us ourselves we could do one thing and that multiply duh that's what he made us to be so one man creates a sin, one sin. And now the ability to sin 
is in every human being. He says, now that was just an archetype to the true man, which was Jesus, where one man's righteousness can now be in every man. Is this also, come on, dear Christian, if one man's sin could obviously be in every man, then if you believe that, then you have to also believe that one man's righteousness could. Could be in you. So Paul starts teaching right around that point is what we're going to pick up. For by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made what? Righteous. Moreover. The law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. Moreover, the law entered that offense might abound. For by one man's obedience, disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made what? Righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Stop right there. The law entered that the offense might abound. So I'm going to add the law to make more sin. That's pretty much what that says. Okay, at first, we had one man who did one sin, and sin was now capable of all of us. But then God says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to add the law. Okay, there was only one law at first, and that was don't eat of that tree. Then he kicks everybody out. He kicks everybody out of the garden. You can't eat that tree no more. So thus, can you really sin? Even though sin is in you, right? Cain found out a way to sin. He killed his brother. But at the time, there was no law against killing your brother. Right? God said, sin lies at your door, Cain. But we ain't made it a law as of yet. Generations later, Moses shows up. And Moses gives people a ton of laws by God. First, God gives them the ten. And then the Jewish people, they just keep stacking them up, just, just stacking them, just 400 plus. If we had one rule and we broke it, the propensity for us to break all the other rules is very high. It's like, don't step on that, and 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 that. How likely are you going to slip? You're going to step on something. So now sin abounds if you gave the law to make more sin earlier in Paul's teaching in the same chapter of Romans chapter 6 he says when Adam sinned everybody was under death even though nobody else sinned like him but the wages of sin is death so when Adam sinned all of creation 
was then polluted and under the dominion of death. That means nobody's going to live forever. That means none of the trees will live forever. That means animals, we need to eat them. They need to eat each other. It was going to be these beasts. We're going to just, just, that's how it's going to work. So even if nobody else sinned like Adam, everybody was under the rule of death. It would take a long time. Some of them were living up to 700 years, but they were going to die. Right? Why would you want to add more laws? Because if you add more laws, you increase the sin. If you increase the sin, then you increase the rate at which people die. Uh, excuse me, God. Um, I thought the purpose was living. <laughs> and then you did something to make us die faster. More of us die faster. Because we sin and then the sin creates death and then we more. Why are you speeding it up? Why are you making death abound? More death? This, this doesn't make any sense. Let's keep reading. But where sin abounded, what? Grace abounded how much? Whoa, 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 whoa. You created the law which caused sin to abound. But as sin became more sin, you also made it where grace outnumbered sin much more. Okay, okay, okay. So maybe you're not crazy, all right? Maybe... You added laws to make more sin. But even though the sin was increased, you had much more grace. Okay. I'm feeling that. All right. Okay. Let's understand grace. Um, come here, Kayla. You can leave that. All right. Stand here. All right. I want you to hold this in your hand. All right, hold it up. I want you, I want you to act like it's heavy. I want you to act like it's pretend that it's heavy. <laughs> man, teenagers are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Wait, no, no, are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? Come on, man. <laughs> pretend like it's heavy. Like it's heavy. Two hands, which is heavy. All right, it's heavy now. Struggle with it. Why are you laughing? You got all right. Come on, man. Okay. Sin abounds. Okay. Grace is not the act of forgiving. It describes forgiveness. Okay? Grace is the ability to make something heavy possible. Struggle, 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 struggle. Okay? Again, grace is the ability to make something difficult possible. Struggle, 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 struggle. Grace is the ability to make something very difficult possible. 
When a ballerina looks graceful, come on, Keisha, put a spin on them. Come on, spin for me. Come on, show them. She be dancing. He be like, oh, my God. She make it less so easy than you do it. Like, oh, oh, my back. Oh, oh, my leg. Grace is the ability to make something challenging possible. Challenging possible. Hard possible. All right, that's grace. To be gracious or to do something graciously is to say that I make it look easy, even though it's very hard. Not only do I do it, but I do it very well. All right? Well, the problem with grace is that most of us have began to keep struggling with the thing. Most of us have began to think that grace means where sin abounds, forgiveness abounds the more. That's not what grace means. Grace defines the nature of forgiveness. It is gracious of you to forgive me. Hello, somebody. That is your grace to forgive me, but it is not forgiveness. Grace allows, come on, y'all don't want to help me here. Sin, hello, somebody, that is heavy to actually not be done. Y'all don't want to help me today. Come on, come on. Go up here so people can see you now. Come on. But what ends up going wrong is that people have assumed that when sin abounds, that forgiveness abounds the more. No. When sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Come on, you can do it. 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 You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. All right, go sit down. People have a hard time reconciling this. And Paul knows it. That's why he goes on to say, watch. Watch, watch what he said. Watch this. It's moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace, the ability to do a hard thing, the power to resist sin, abounded how much more much more so that as sin reigned in death grace might reign through grace might reign through righteousness sin reigned in death it ruled in the world of death isn't that true? Most of the sins you commit is because you know you're only going to live once. Most of the sins you commit is because, well, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to be like this my whole life? My whole life? Is, is this what living is? Oh, I need a break from my life. Sins are committed because of a scarcity of life. I ain't got no money. Nobody loves me. Nobody's with me. I'm all by myself. Most sins abound, reign in the idea that everything is temporary. So you got to get what you can when you can. Enjoy what you can. FOMO, don't miss out on nothing. Go travel, sis. Do your thing, king. Come on, get it, get it up. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. You got no time. Get in that bag, get in that bag. Yeah, because you got a short life, which is true. What does the scripture say? Even so, 
grace might reign through what? Where there is righteousness, where there is someone with a right standing with God through Christ, grace is given. Come on, you can do it. Come on, I'm going to strengthen you to do it. Come on, you can put that down. Come on, throw away that vape. Come on, you can do it. Come on, you can do it. Come on, you can do it. You can do it another month. Come on, you can do it another week. Come on, you can do it. Come on, you can do it. And the more right standing is there, the more what? Grace abounds. When you want to do be right with him, he'll give you grace to be right with him. We get it confused in thinking that grace is just automatically some type of forgiveness of sin. So we sin, we just, more grace, he'll forgive me. That's not what grace is. It's the ability to do a hard thing. To not fornicate. To walk away from your gay and lesbian brothers and sisters. To live a life that is holy or righteous. To stop working on Sundays knowing it's going to affect your paycheck. To give up tithes and offerings, even though you know you've got bills. To let go of bad friendships and pray for them nonetheless. To forgive and walk away from bitterness. To start steps of healing of trauma and pain from childhood. All of this is what the Spirit of God is designed to strengthen you to do. What grace is for, to do something hard. And some of us have had the types of lives where it is so hard to lift my life. Anybody ever been there? You don't understand, Pastor, my testimony, it is hard to live this life. My life started with baggage. My life started with pain. My life started with hurt. I've got a hard knock life, seriously. You want me to live this? Uh-uh, I want somebody else's life. My office is full of people that cry and say, I just wanna be somebody else. I want to get rid of my past and what I had to go through. I just, why couldn't I have that kind of life? Why couldn't it look like that? But grace, come on, speak grace to it. But grace says you can live and live this hard life. And the harder it is, the more grace he gives you to, come on, y'all don't want to help me preach. People say, Pastor, why so many of your members got sexual trauma and abuse? I said, because I believe in grace and lifting a hard life. Not many people know how to tell someone you can live very well past this. They don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. They don't, have to don't know how to show it. They don't know the balance between moving on and dealing with it. It's a balance. Pastor, why are your members so ratchet? Why are your members so stubborn? Why some of them so old? Why some of them so young? Why some of them are women? Why some of them some men? Why, 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 why? Because I specialize in teaching people how to live with grace, how to make life live 
when it is hard, when it's challenging, when you done been gay for so long. Come on now. When you done been poor all your life, when you done had too many broken hearts. Come on, too many failed marriages. How do you lift this life filled with sin and heartbreak? Someone has to speak what? Grace to it. Come on and bless the name of the Lord. I speak grace. Who is this grace, this great mountain? <laughs> Be thou removed. All right, sit on down, sit on down. So Paul says, so I don't want you to think that grace is just about forgiving all your sins every time you mess up. That's why chapter 6, verse 1 starts off. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Oh, says he's going to make it easy. If if we equate grace to forgiveness, then we'll just keep sinning and we say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, forgive me. Oh, the Lord forgive me. Don't judge me, okay? All right, the Lord forgive me. The Lord forgive me. And we'll just keep sinning because we know that there's grace. He says, certainly not. That's what it's for. How shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us that were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? What? Apollos, you need to be baptized. Corinthian church, you need to be baptized into Christ. We baptized unto, unto John's baptism, the remission of sins. Mm-hmm. Yes, but now the Christ has come. And you're b- being baptized in Christ is different. Now you're being baptized into death. What? You're going to be, you're going to go under the water, and you're going to be symbolizing, I died. What'd you die to? My old self. But more specifically, you died to sin. A dead man cannot sin. You don't have to worry about fornicating when you die. Because you're dead. You ain't got to worry about lying when you die. You're dead. A dead man cannot sin is what he's saying. If you are baptized into Christ's death, then you cannot what? Because you are what? 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 I mean, but am I really? Am I breathing? (laughs) But am I breathing, though? Like, when I get baptized into Jesus, am I going to die right then? Yes and no. Let's keep reading. Paul explains it very well. So therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That, watch this, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we shall walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing that our old man was crucified with him. That the body of sin 
might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we die with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Are you bored already? Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What does that mean? He said, when you get baptized in Jesus' name, you're baptized unto his death, into his death. I'm going down in this water in Jesus' name, signifying that just as Jesus died upon the cross, I too want to be crucified with him. Pause. Being water baptized in Christ Jesus is a sign outwardly that indicates if you could, you would be crucified with Christ. Like when he was on the cross, you'd be that other person beside him. Willingly. That's what that's supposed to mean. Now, why was Christ upon a tree? He was on the cross because he was obedient to God even unto death. Did Christ want to die? Yes and no. He said, please, is it another way? Pass this cup from me. But if not, not my will, but what? Your will be done. Righteousness or right standing with God has to include that you prefer what God wants over what you want. Not only do I prefer it, but I will do it. You cannot agree to doing what God wants if you are also afraid of not getting what you want. You cannot actually agree to do what God wants if you are afraid of not getting what you want. Thank you. Thank you. No one else is getting that. Did y'all not get it or is it confusing? You just don't think it was amen worthy? If you're afraid that you won't get what you want, the likelihood of you being able to be crucified, if you are afraid of death, how likely are you to agree to be crucified? If you are not afraid of death, then you are more likely to be okay with being crucified, even though the event is not enjoyable. The issue is that you have not died. 
with Christ, you still live for yourself. You are afraid of not getting what you want. You're afraid if you won't get married. You're afraid if you won't have kids. You're afraid if you won't be successful. You're afraid if anybody finds out. You're afraid if your life turns out this way. You're afraid if you get poor. The truth of the matter is you are afraid if they hurt you. You're afraid if they talk about you. You're afraid if they think you're ugly. You're afraid if they think you're stupid. You are afraid. That's the truth. You're afraid. You're afraid of not getting what you want. Most of you sin knowingly because you want something that God does not want you to have. That's what sin is. Not only do you want it, which is the iniquitous part, all right, the fact that you want something not good definitely means you're not good. Right? So you want something that is not good, not only do you want it, but you actually go get it. You go get what God doesn't want you to have. And you take that in and you make more of what God doesn't want you to have. That was sin. In order to help with this, he creates laws. So now all kinds of stuff you do is wrong. And now you... You, you can die faster and sooner. But where sin abounds, what? The ability to resist sin. The ability, come on somebody, to die on the cross. The ability to want what God wants abounds how much more? Much more. You struggling with not vaping to me is an indication that you have not tapped into the much more grace. If it's so hard that you almost gave in every day, where is you tap? Where do you believe that you're supposed to get much more grace? When something is really hard for me and I know God wants me to do it, I look for more grace. I'd be like, so like if I chew gum, would that help? Grace. <laughs> when my mother passed two years ago, I looked for the grace of an antidepressant. to do a hard thing and that's to pastor and to be encouraging to people when my heart is broken. God led me to more grace in medication. That's me. I thought I'm crazy is that I had trauma. And I had trauma for so long that my brain produces chemicals differently than what it used to do. It's an acute trauma. So I medicate to stop me from being pessimistic or overly negative, because that's not my heart, but I can't get my brain to line up because of the hormones. So I'll take this grace, temporarily believing that God will restore these parts of my brain, right? And then I'll be the regular pastor before the meds. But I looked for the grace, the ability to do something hard. Do you look for the grace when you're trying to do that hard thing? Or do you sit there and focus on how hard it is? On how lonely you are. On how you miss that person. On how all of this other stuff is just not going right for you. Or are you looking for the grace? Come on and bless the name of the Lord.
for the death that he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin is going to abound, but grace is going to abound much more. You who desire righteousness, I'll add grace, much grace, to get you to do a, help you to do a hard thing. Doesn't mean it won't be hard, but you can do it. This hard thing that you have to do, this pain, that I don't care who you are, even with the power of the Holy Ghost, stuff is still hard. But doable. I want you guys to look at a clip in closing. I don't know if you can see it because sometimes I don't let you do the airplay on the, on the movie screens. So I'm going to let you hear it. Okay? Um, I want you to hear a clip about a kingdom. Yes and amen? amen? Because the Lord is so wonderful that when they were baptized in Jesus and what they're really saying is that I agree that I'm going to, I would die with Christ on that cross if I could. That the relationship he had with God to stand right before him, to want what God wants over what he wanted. <sighs> Peter tried that. I'll die with you, Christ. Did not succeed. He didn't succeed and this intention until after he was given what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. Once they're baptized in Christ, they're saying, I would die with you. I would be up there on that cross with you. And I would let go of what I want. And I'd really hold on to whatever you want. This sounds good, doesn't it? But when I go to do it, I mess it up. That's when Paul says, come here. Let me lay hands on you. What you need is you need the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the gift of the Holy Spirit is unique because it's given to those who God identifies has to live a hard life. One that will resemble the life of his son. Where they'd have to die to self a lot. Oh, y'all don't want to help me today. And this person not only is set up for God for that, but they also desire righteousness. They really want to not mess up. They want to live for God. They want to stop failing. They want to let God's will be done because they really do believe he's an awesome God and they, they hate the fact that they're not really demonstrating it the way it should be done. To that person, he gives a gift a gift of his spirit. He gives a gift of his spirit that will give them the grace to lift a hard thing. So now they're dying to sin. They're dying to death. They're dying, but they didn't die physically. They died to themselves. 
to whatever they want. I want knowledge of good and evil, but I don't want it that bad. I want to be married, but I don't want it that bad. I want to have kids, but I don't want it that bad. I want to be wealthy, but I don't want it that bad. I want to have a great career, but I don't want it that bad. In essence, I die to myself. Whatever you want from my life. There are things that will manifest for me that I can say clearly this was God. And then there are other things that will come out like a strange tongue that I will not even understand what it means. But in the end, but I still know that it's of the spirit of God. They say, I will be on the cross with you, Christ. I will die with you and I will die to myself. It's hard for a dead man to sin. I'm so lonely. Come on, baby, why don't you let me on? Come on, I'm going to get us a hotel room. Come on, I'm going to flew you up. How, how, how you going to go when you dead? No, I don't want it that bad. I'm sorry. So you're going to be miserable? You're going to just be at your house by yourself. You could be out here on the beaches with me. I'm going to flew you up. I'll just be miserable. Why be miserable when I can offer you something? Why be poor when I can give you some money? Come on now. Why be fat when I can give you a surgery? Come on, why, why be any of these things? Oh, I'm preaching better y'all acting. Mm -hmm. Yep. No. Ain't about me. Did you see what this man Jesus did? The Messiah? Oh, I believe it was true. And if God would do that for me, man, I'm with him. You crucify Christ, you crucify me. Us. We a team. We go together. Me and you. You up there, I'm up there. Now you want the courage to be able to actually live that. When apostles see that people have that heart, in the right time they come and lay hands and give them the gift of the Spirit of God. Now, the thing you thought was impossible to lift, you're actually lifting. And other people look at you going, how do you do that? Uh, it's God. <laughs> Am I doing it? You're doing it. I'm doing it. You're doing it. <laughs> oh, I'm doing it. You end up doing something that everybody knows is just God. I want you to watch something. You can't see us, but we flourish all around you, everywhere, in everything, and even inside you.
We are resurrection, condemnation, and regeneration. We are mushrooms. Mushrooms, the kingdom of fungi. The kingdom of fungi will teach you so much about the kingdom of God. When Zerubbabel was shouting grace, grace to it, the prophet Zechariah had an angel of the Lord saying, Zerubbabel was going to raise up the temple of God. It was an impossible thing, and it started off so small. And people were like, oh, it's not going to happen. And they would shout grace to this thing. Grace, grace to the building. In Zechariah's vision, there were two trees, two olive trees on either side. And connected to them were lamps and vases of oil. And the olive trees would, would pull the oil from the lamp and they use the oil from the lamp to keep the lamps alight. Fungi have an interesting concept, okay? The kingdom of fungi. The kingdom of fungi does something unique. Number one, they're like mushrooms. The mushroom that we see is just the fruit of the fungi. And a fungi is not a plant, and it's not an animal. It's a mix of the two in its own kingdom. It's not in the animal kingdom. It's not in the plant kingdom. It's a unique combination between plant and animal. Like, we're not human only. And we're not spirit only, but we're some type of mix between. That's good. That's good. If you want to watch it, you can watch it on Netflix. It's called, it's called the Fantastic Fungi. You should watch it. The fungi, the kingdom itself, there are over 600,000 more variations than the plant. Of all the plants you could ever imagine, there are 600,000 more fungi variations than plants. Animals not even in the race, okay? Under one footstep, 300 miles of fungi per one footstep. The mushroom we see is just the fruit of a deeply rooted and interconnected system underneath the earth, under the soil, under the dirt. The fungi is responsible for anything that dies, it produces life from that dead thing. It do. Everything that's hydrocarbon based, that means nature. <laughs> You're like hydrocarbon. <laughs> The fungi, the, the, the kingdom of the fungi is responsible for taking anything that dies that is made of hydro and carbon. So much revelation in this. And it's designed to break that apart and use every ounce of it for new life. It begins to pull it down into the soil and in the soil, the nutrients that are needed for a tree takes it, and the tree grows. The tree drops off an acorn, 
The acorn is then planted. The fungi then helped to produce that seed of that acorn that fell from that tree. As that acorn falls, the fungi tell the mother tree, if that mother tree has a virus, something that is causing danger to its root system, the mother tree will then try to get that baby seed far enough away from where it, the fungi communicate that information to the mother tree. Plants communicate through the system of fungi, the kingdom of fungi. As the baby tree, the seed goes into the ground, the fungi help to produce the decaying mechanism of the seed is then decayed in the soil, and then that thing becomes life. It grows into a tree, and whatever it needs, the fungi, the kingdom of the fungi, tell the mama tree that the baby tree needs something. And so the fungi take what the mama tree has and sends the nutrients to a baby tree way on the other side, not even connected by roots, but connected by a totally different kingdom. I watched this a couple years ago. I just decided to use it today. <laughs> Tells the plant, the tree, the mama tree, what the baby tree needs. Fungi take dead things, and as they die, propagate life on every ounce of that thing. I wonder if there's a kingdom related that functions covertly like this. Like fruit trees and flowers, they are designed to look appealing to the eye. Fungi, not so much. When the fruit is ready, it ripens, and the tomato looks beautiful, and the orange is orange, and it says, look at me. I'm fruit. I'm ready to go. But the kingdom of the fungi is dull low, unassuming, hidden, trampled over, walked on. Oh, y'all don't, y'all don't want to. But it is a necessity for life. It is how living things live. Because in Christ, I live and move and have my being. Standing all over the house. Once the disciples...